Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you once again. Why don't you uh, find your seats? And uh, we will begin with the teaching portion of our worship gathering. Yeah, a great day to be together. It was uh, wonderful having a child dedication. I think my, th- my, uh, my finger uh, has uh, stopped throbbing after being gnawed on for, for about a minute. All right. Well, we are in our second week of our teaching series, The Gospel According to Mark. And uh, so this is your, your first week here with us in this series. Let me give you a quick recap so you know where we're headed. Uh, this will be a 10-week total teaching series, an overview of the gospel according to Mark. Uh, Mark is one of the four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, that are uh, narratives about the life of Jesus Christ. And uh, so we are, are looking at this book so that we can understand about the person of Jesus, uh, who he is, what he did, what he taught, and what his invitation to us is. Now last week, we just looked at the very uh, first half of chapter one, and verse one starts off by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. The beginning of the gospel. And then the rest of this book goes on to kind of put flesh on the gospel, because the gospel is all about the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, and all that he did. And so the gospel of Mark is the gospel. And uh, we were beginning to understand yet last week kind of the main teaching that Jesus has, which is the gospel of the kingdom. The good news that in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is available. God has made it possible for sinful people to be welcomed into his kingdom, and this is good news. So uh, after uh, Mark uh, uh, shares Jesus' kind of, I would say, inaugural address, he's presenting Jesus as a king, and so Verse 14 and 15 of chapter 1 are the first words we hear Jesus say in the gospel according to Mark. And Jesus' first words in this book are the good news that the gospel or that the kingdom of God is at hand. So that's Jesus' inaugural address as king. Mark is presenting him as king. So the question is, what will happen next? Now that Jesus has made his inaugural address, what's gonna be, what will he do after that? You know, like when, when, a, when a president is elected, a lot of commentators love to talk about what will he do in his first 100 days of office? You know, how will he set his tone for his government? Because uh, what he does first is very significant. Well, what Jesus doesn't do first is significant. He doesn't go and assemble an army. Most kings do. He doesn't go to Jerusalem, the height of political power, and begin to use his influence politically. He doesn't set up a large building and large religious meetings so he can preach to thousands, though that did happen at times, but that wasn't his next step. His first order of business, after his inaugural address, is to call disciples. So that's what we're going to consider today. Why is the calling of disciples so significant in the ministry of Jesus Christ and in his gospel? All right? So, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to read in Mark chapter 1, short passage today, verses 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray this morning that the written word would lead us to the living word. And God, that word would find uh, deep roots in our hearts. So God, use this uh, uh, time this morning uh, to invite us to be your disciples. And God, give us uh, the willing hearts that will follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Well, this morning we're going to have, uh, we're going to ask and hopefully answer four basic questions, all right? And the first question we're going to ask is, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? Um, so let's start with kind of a little bit of a word association. You don't have to say it out loud, but just, I want you in your heads right now to think, when you hear the word disciple, what word, phrase, or picture immediately comes to mind, all right? So hold that word, phrase, or picture in your head. I'm guessing for some of you, maybe that word, phrase, or picture was um, some guy in a bathrobe with a fake beard on in a church play. Uh, I've been one of those disciples in a church play. You know, uh, somebody that is recounting what happened back then in a modern context by trying to dress the part. So usually bathrobes and fake beards uh, uh, fit the bill. So maybe that's, for some of you, your image. Uh, For others of you, maybe you think about um, somebody who is incredibly, almost ridiculously uh, serious about religion. Almost like a a cult-like person. Cult leaders have serious disciples. So you think about a person who is really over the top in, in their religious fanaticism. And that's what comes to mind when you think of the word disciple. Or maybe for others of you, all you think about is just back then. You think, well, Jesus had 12 disciples. So a disciple is one of those 12 guys back then. And see, the problem with all of those images is they're detached from our lives. It's hard for us to really take this seriously. You know, wearing a bathrobe and a fake beard around in public? We don't do that. Uh, A really strange, cult-like person? Who wants to be that? Or people that lived 2,000 years ago? What relevance does that really have in my life today? And so what this does is it makes us hold this text at arm's length. And we don't hear the call to us if we don't understand what a disciple actually is. See, that's not how Jesus' first disciples heard this call. To them, disciple simply meant learner, student. That's what disciple means, a learner or a student. Now, to our modern ears, we think about education, learning. We primarily think gaining information. You know, you go to a school, you sit in a class, you learn information, hopefully you pass a test, you get a degree and move on. And if you're like me, you forget a lot of what you learned. A lot of the information you brought in then is just gone. But in this context, in the Middle East, in a more Eastern context, uh, a couple thousand years ago, education was not just about the acquisition of information. It was about the passing on of a way of life. So really, to correctly understand this, we need to understand disciple being more like an apprentice. Not just a person in a classroom, but a person learning an awful lot more than just information. So if you're going to become an electrician, you don't just pick up a book and read about it. You apprentice under a master electrician. You learn from this person um, all about the work of an electrician. You begin to do some of the work under his supervision. 
there's a whole process of actually becoming an electrician, learning from a master. That picture right there is much more akin to discipleship that we read here. People who are learning from a master, not just information, but how to actually live, how to function, becoming competent in the thing the master is competent in. So Jesus is training apprentices. And I'm going to use that word an awful lot. And I encourage you, whenever you read the word disciple in the Bible, think in your mind, apprentice, apprentice. So we're going to consider about being an apprentice of Jesus. But before we head on to the second question, I simply want us to stop and recognize how amazing it is that the king of kings calls apprentices. I mean, that Jesus, the one who knows all, who is competent to do all, has decided to accomplish his work through apprentices. Uh, most significant political leaders don't do this. You don't call an apprentice to do your work. Um, see the value he puts on people, that he wants to grow people up, working in them and working through them? Jesus the king does not rule as a tyrant. He rules through his people by apprenticing people to himself and his way of life. What a good king he is, that he's a king who calls apprentices. First uh, question was, what is a disciple? We answered it. It's an apprentice of Jesus. Uh, second question for the morning, what does apprenticeship to Jesus entail? What does apprenticeship to Jesus entail? And we're going to dive into the passage here. And we're going to see uh, from this text uh, what it entailed for these fellows. Uh, so three things we're going we're to focus on. First, apprenticeship to Jesus entailed relationship with Jesus. And don't just skip over this. Uh, Mark 1.17, and Jesus said to them, follow me. It wasn't, here's a book to read, follow that. Here's a podcast to listen to, get back to me. It was follow me. Jesus, the person, is inviting his disciples to be with him and to learn from him. Now, Let's pause here a minute and understand the backstory of this because it sounds a little bit strange for Jesus to show up at these guys' places of work and say, hey, uh, leave your job, follow me, and they say, okay. Uh, you get the picture that they must have really hated being fishermen. That they, they, they just on a whim would leave and follow Jesus. But that's not what was taking place. This was not the first time that Jesus met these guys. They already had a relationship and the scriptures show us that. Uh, let me give you the backstory. Um, after Jesus' own baptism, after his temptation, um, when he was led out into the wilderness, after he came back, Jesus began teaching in the region of Galilee. That's the larger region where the Sea of Galilee is. Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, is in Galilee. Capernaum and Bethsaida are also in Galilee. Capernaum and Bethsaida are where most of the disciples were from. Jesus comes back from his temptation, and he begins to teach in the region of Galilee in the synagogues, and people are really amazed at his teaching. He's beginning to become known. Well, um, he eventually uh, goes back to the Jordan uh, River, and he uh, talks to John the Baptist, who then points out to his disciples, Jesus. And do you remember in John where he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? That's what John the Baptist said to his disciples, Andrew, and John, who at the time were disciples of John the Baptist. They're learning from him. And John says, this is the guy I've been telling you about. This is him. And so at that point, Andrew and John go and they spend the day with Jesus. And you can read about that in John chapter 2, uh, verses 38 to 42. I'll, I'll leave that to you guys. 
But Jesus spends the day with them. At the end of that day, Andrew concludes he really is the Messiah. And so then he goes and finds his brother Peter and brings him, and Peter meets Jesus. The next day, Peter, uh, Jesus then meets Philip and Nathaniel. So there's this pocket of disciples in the Capernaum, Bethsaida area that Jesus already knows. So after Jesus is eventually rejected in his hometown of Nazareth, and after John the Baptist is arrested, Jesus purposely goes to Capernaum because he knows guys there. And he's going to call them into this next step of his ministry. So Jesus goes looking for them, and he already knows them. And when they see him, they are so excited at this invitation to become his apprentices. So Jesus calls them out of relationship with himself and into deeper relationship. So here's the, the implication, okay? Discipleship flows out of relationship. It did for Jesus and his disciples, and it does for us too. Discipleship is not just attending a class and getting more information. It's not just coming to services and, learn, and hearing sermons. Discipleship always involves relationship. We need to learn from other people how to live. And that is modeled for us and coached and taught. Discipleship necessitates relationship. So what does uh, apprenticeship, apprenticeship to Jesus entail? First, relationship. Secondly, it entails becoming like Jesus. Mark 1.17, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become. Uh, if you have a, 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 a note or anything, you can underline that word, become. Become. Um, I find that we are naturally focused in life on getting. We need to get money. We need to get experiences, get relationship, get status. We're naturally focused on getting, acquiring. But the real important issue in life is about the kind of person we are becoming. It's about becoming. Becoming is the key issue in life. And we're all becoming a certain kind of person. Um, every decision we make, every action we take is shaping us into a certain kind of person. You see, real joy, real peace, real contentment doesn't come from getting. It actually comes from becoming. When we become the kind of person God made us to be. The focus is on becoming. And Jesus is saying, I will make you become. He's telling us what apprenticeship to himself is going to do. There's going to be a shaping, a forming, a forging force that Jesus will work in the lives of his apprentices. Now, a few other scriptures here, and I don't have these in the notes, I apologize. Um, we read in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's only two ways to live. Either conformed by the ideologies, the patterns, the practices of the world around us, and we all start that way, or transformed by the renewing of our mind as we begin to think like Jesus thought and do what Jesus did. It, it is Jesus' transforming work that he works in his apprentices. Um, this is why Jesus came. He didn't come just to die, rise, ascend, and offer forgiveness. It's more than that. It's to shape human beings to become like him. And we can't become like him apart from forgiveness. We need to be forgiven as part of the transformation journey. 
Jesus has come that we might become like him. Um, C.S. Lewis once said this about the mission of the church. He said, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. Jesus called his disciples in Matthew 28 before he ascended, was go make disciples. This is the call of Jesus, that the church is to be making disciples, forming people into the image of Jesus Christ. So what does discipleship to Jesus entail? It entails relationship with Jesus. It entails becoming like Jesus. And then thirdly, it involves helping others become apprentices. Mark 1:17, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I love that Jesus you know, leans into their, their wheelhouse. They know all about fishing. And so he's speaking their language. And he uses their area of life and expertise to paint a new vision for them in their life. That, that in the same way they go out and they are intentional about bringing in fish, they are now going to be intentional about helping other people become apprentices of Jesus Christ. They're going to work uh, for the good of others, bringing them to Jesus. Now, notice that Jesus does not wait until after these guys have been you know, with him and kind of graduated up the levels before he kind of puts this mission on them. Right at the, right at the very beginning here, right as he's calling them into discipleship, he tells them about this aspect of their mission, that he wants them to be fishers of men. Now, this tells us a couple things. First of all, being a disciple of Jesus is not only for our own benefit. It is always about the benefit of others as well. To be a disciple of Jesus means we become people devoted to God and devoted to others. It's never just about our own uh, spiritual experience, our own personal spiritual growth. It is always about becoming people who are committed to the good of others. But it's also telling us that it does not take a master's degree to become this kind of person. Uh, these fishermen, these ordinary people, Jesus gives this amazing vision to. Jesus is calling everyone, everyone, to become fishers of men, people who help others become apprentices. Ministry is not only for professionals or seasoned Christians. Ministry is for us all. We all are called into apprenticeship and helping others to become apprentices. So, what does discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus entail? Relationship, becoming like Jesus, and helping others become apprentices. All right? Second, or uh, I'm losing track here. Third, uh, third question of the morning. Third question, all right? Why pursue apprenticeship to Jesus? If we're honest, if we're honest, I think all that we've heard so far makes sense and Probably if you've been in the church any length of time, you might even agree with it and feel like you should do this. But it just sounds like more work. So the question is, why should I really? Why give myself to this pursuit? See, we need a good motivation, something far better than I should. What's the motivation for pursuing apprenticeship to Jesus? And I'm going to actually borrow, um, there's an uh, author, Dallas Willard, who has written a ton on apprenticeship to Jesus. He talks a lot about spiritual formation. 
And he has an essay called, uh, Why Bother with Discipleship? Um, and I'm gonna borrow some of his teaching from that essay. Feel free to look it up later and read it for yourself. Um, three things here, about three motivations for pursuing apprenticeship to Jesus. First, why pursue it? Because it's the invitation of Jesus. It is the invitation of Jesus. Um, Jesus' invitation was, come follow me. The invitation wasn't just become an attender of my services. It wasn't even become a convert. The invitation was become a disciple. It's the invitation of Jesus. But in our modern practice of the church, we often make this two things. We often make church attenders and think, well, if you get really serious, then you can take another step and become a disciple. And in Jesus' thinking, those were not two separate things. It's the invitation of Jesus into discipleship. Now, I won't go into all the nitty-gritty of this, but there's even like significant doctrinal discussions behind this. Um, I've been involved in some of these in my other work in the district about churches that really latch on to the receiving Jesus as Savior, but not wanting to receive Jesus as Lord until later, as if we can do those things separately, as if we can receive just Jesus' forgiveness, but not his lordship in our lives. Um, Dallas Willard in this article, he talks about, he calls that a heresy, which I also believe it is. He says, this heresy has created the impression that is, that is quite reasonable. Um, I'm sorry, let me say it again. This heresy has created the impression that it is quite reasonable to be what he calls a vampire Christian. One in effect says to Jesus, I'd like a little of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven. Obviously, he's tongue-in-cheek about this, but unfortunately, that is the practice. We think, can I get my get-out-of-hell-free card? And then that's all I really need. The question is, we're asking, is what's the bare minimum I have to do to be considered a Christian? And when we read through the pages of Scripture, that's not the question that's being asked. What's the bare minimum? We're given the whole Scriptures. We're given a whole gospel telling us about Jesus so that we can experience all that God has for us. God wants far more for us than just the afterlife. He's interested in our life now. So first of all, this is the invitation of Jesus. It should motivate our apprenticeship. Secondly, apprenticeship to Jesus brings transformation. It's apprenticeship to Jesus that brings change in life. I mean, the truth is, it's a really miserable way to live, to believe in Jesus, without living as an apprentice. Because then like, you know all that the scriptures teach about all that's offered connected to Christ, about the peace of God, about the righteousness of God, about living out the commands of Jesus. You, you have all the knowledge, but then your life doesn't match it. And that gap is troubling to us, and it should be. You see, it's in an apprenticeship to Jesus that that gap begins to narrow, where we are beginning to change and become more and more like the God who has loved us and saved us. So uh, apart from apprenticeship to Jesus, we're often stuck with the knowledge of the Christian life, but not the experience of the Christian life. And so we're invited into the experience. Third reason why we should pursue apprenticeship to Jesus, because apprenticeship to Jesus provides us with power greater than ourselves to deal with life's problems and we will all face problems in life. I mean, let's face it, life is hard. It is. And Jesus isn't offering us a way to get around life's problems. He's offering to be with us in life's problems. 
Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, I've seen people walk through tragedy and loss with Jesus and without Jesus. And Jesus really does make all the difference. But you can't turn that on when tragedy happens. Jesus talked about building our house on a rock, building our life on the teachings of Jesus, becoming apprentices to him, so that when the wind and waves come in life, the house stands. The power of God is revealed in those times of suffering, in those times of trial, because apprenticeship to Jesus connects us with the power of God. This is the invitation of Jesus, it brings transformation by the Spirit, and it provides us with power to deal with life's problems. Apprenticeship to Jesus is one of the best things we could do with our life. So, that leads us to our last question of the morning. And are you, you all still awake? Okay. Um, how can I pursue apprenticeship to Jesus? And I am really impressed that it's only 11.05. I, I thought I was going to be like at 11.15 by now. So, maybe we've done it early. Maybe I'll just take my time here. I don't know. But we're doing well. How can I pursue apprenticeship to Jesus? Um, this question right here could be and probably should be a teaching series unto itself. Probably at some point it will be here. Um, but for this morning, I, I don't want to kind of unpack the whole enchilada. I just want to talk about a next step by looking at this text. Um, I want us to consider what was the next step for the disciples. When they heard the invitation of Jesus, what did they do? What was the invitation and what was their response? See, when Jesus invited Peter and Andrew to follow him and become fishers of men, uh, how much of the Christian life did they know at that point? Very little. I mean, they had not read any significant doctrine. They hadn't taken any classes. Uh, they had heard Jesus teach. They had been in a relationship with him. And now he was inviting them to come be with him and learn from him. And they said yes. And that yes involved a no to something else. It says they left their nets and followed him. Apprenticeship to Jesus always involves a cost. Always. There's always things we have to say no to in order to say yes to Jesus. There's always a next step of obedience in the Christian life. And sometimes we can become overwhelmed with thinking about everything we would have to do to truly be a mature follower of Jesus Christ. I think that's actually probably more of an accusation from the evil one than it is anything prompted by the Spirit of God. What Jesus wants us to focus on is our next step of obedience. For the disciples, it was, will you come with me today? Is this offer good enough? Do you really believe I am who you think I am? Uh, will you come learn from me? That's all they knew that day, and they took that next step of obedience. And that meant they left uh, their current employment, and went to be with Jesus. Now, he, Jesus does not call all of us to leave our jobs, but there always is something we have to let go of. You know, for, for some of us, you know, it's letting go of control on our time, our schedule. Um, to be an apprentice of Jesus is going to take time. It's going to take connection with Jesus and his word. It's going to take co connection with Jesus with other people, maybe in the community group. And we have to let go of a stranglehold of our own schedule, determining how we want to live and yielding it to Jesus. For others, it's letting go of control on the wallet. When Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
And as I said earlier, it's so easy to focus on a life of getting and not a life of becoming. And when we loosen up the purse strings, we strangely find ourselves opened up to Jesus and his leadership in our lives. Instead of just letting go of a stranglehold on the wallet. For others, it could be a certain relationship that we just know uh, God is calling us out of. Or maybe he's calling us into. But to follow Jesus Christ is going to involve a saying no to something in order to say yes to Jesus. Now, I don't know what that is for you in your life right now, but I am confident that if you listen to the Spirit, there is something. Because there's always a next step of obedience. This is the Christian life, one step after another, of learning to say no in order to say yes. And here's the great good news of the gospel. Jesus said um, that when, um, if you deny yourself, take up your cross daily, is the invitation to follow him. He says, what good is it to gain the whole world, yet lose your soul? The point being, when we say no, we actually grab onto the thing that matters most anyway. Apprenticeship to Jesus. There isn't a better offer in the universe. Just imagine today if uh, maybe the most high-powered person in your company came and invited you uh, to come and work closely with them to learn all about the tools of the trade because they intended to hand over the business to you. You'd think, what an offer. Or, or, Or maybe it's an athlete and you're in a certain sport, and one of your sport heroes invites you to come and learn from them. Say, I'm going to train you in, in all of my uh, ways of, of practice and preparation so you can become like me um, in, in, in athletics. You'd think, what an offer. Nobody knows better than Jesus how to live. And he's inviting us to come and learn from him how to actually live as a human being in the image of God. This is the invitation of Jesus now and forever is to come and become like him in apprenticeship. So, in summary, Jesus the King is calling us to be his apprentices, to learn from him how to live. There's no one wiser and no one better to learn from. So this week, I invite you to dig a little deeper uh, in, in three ways here, all right? First, I invite you to read, chapter, read Mark 1 and 2 uh, sometime this week. Now, last week I said read Mark 1. Um, so if you already did that, well done. Uh, feel free to read it again. Uh, but Mark 1 and 2, uh, read those uh, texts of Scripture. You could do this in one sitting, probably takes 10 minutes, or you could just break it up over the course of the week. But, but read Mark 1 and 2 and, and listen uh, for how, the descriptions of Jesus. What is he like? And listen for his invitations. What's he calling you to? Uh, secondly, uh, read chapters 1 and 2 in the book we're uh, utilizing, Jesus the King. Um, now, again, last week, I encouraged you to read chapter 1. So if you already did that, you're halfway there. Uh, finish up chapter 2, uh, chapters 1 and 2. And these, this is further explanation of what we talked about today. And then lastly, lastly, I really do encourage you to consider this week what your next step of obedience is. It's it, it hard to get specific sometimes in life. But what is it that you think Jesus is calling you to do as your next step of obedience? Um, I encourage you that when you uh, get clear about that, to talk to someone about it and pray with them. There's something about not just our own willpower, but that in prayer with another person, bringing that to God, there's a power there. So I encourage you to consider what's your next step of obedience and talk and pray with somebody else. Well, I'm looking forward uh, to the remainder of our journey together. Eight more weeks walking through the gospel according to Mark. 
And I know God's going to accomplish good things in this time together. Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful that you are the king who calls apprentices. Thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to come for us, for taking on our humanity, for taking on our sin. Thank you, Lord, for your work on the cross. We know that we can never, never earn our way into your favor. Lord, you've done everything that is needed. Uh, in, your, in your death, your resurrection. And so Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you now for this invitation, um, not just to heaven later, but Lord, uh, to now live with you, to learn from you, to become more like you. And so God, I pray this week, uh, you'd be making that clear to all of us, uh, what our next step of obedience is as apprentices of Jesus. Uh, so thank you for giving us your word and thank you for giving us your spirit. And we pray your blessing upon us this week as we follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.